get up. Hey everybody, Anthony K here with the Sports Psych Podcast. We have another great episode for you this week. We're going to talk some 76ers and is it Brett Brown? Is it Joel Embiid? Is it Ben Simmons? Has the process failed? Should they start over? Or are they one piece away from making it? We'll also talk about the coronavirus and specifically what they should do with the Olympics this summer. We'll then get into our featured guest, the voice of the Raptors, Jack Armstrong, who's here with us to talk everything Raptors. And of course, as always, we'll end it off with spoiler alert. This week, we're going to focus on the XFL. Stay tuned. Can the Philadelphia 76ers win an NBA championship with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I'm going to save my answer till the end, but let me tell you what Brett Brown, the 76ers head coach, thinks. And I quote, I personally am convinced those two are going to win a championship at some point in their career and that they for sure can coexist. The myth is that they can't. I think that is so abused and not articulated the way I see it. Okay, you're the head coach of the team who's trying to keep your job. However, there's either one of two things that's true. One, they can't coexist because Joel Embiid clogs the lane, as he should, which stops Ben Simmons from doing what he does best, which is drive the lane. They are both technically inside players, even though one's a point guard and one's a center. Although Embiid can shoot the three, that's not where we want him to live and breathe as a three-point shooter. Ben Simmons, we know, either can't or just flat out won't shoot the three. And really, for them to be successful in this NBA, in today's day and age, they would be surrounded by three-point shooters. For Embiid to succeed, if he's the man in the middle, and he's surrounded by three good shooters who just open up everything for him where when he gets double teamed down low he can kick it back out he will he will be at his best now question marks in terms of his work ethic his ability to stay healthy those will forever be there well at least they're there now can't say forever as far as Simmons is concerned he would thrive in a style of play where he could kind of run and gun, drive the lane, post up, and kick it out to some three-point shooters who would open up the lane for him to drive. If you know he's going to kick it out to someone who's going to hit a three, the likelihood of defenses collapsing in and stopping him from doing what he does grows exponentially. Unfortunately, in my opinion, either they can't coexist, as I mentioned, because of those factors, or Brent Brown is unable to set up a system that allows them to succeed. So it's either the coach has to go and you bring in someone who you think can create some type of offense where those two will be able to do what they do within the same space or they space out the floor differently. Or either Simmons or Embiid goes. Now, you know, the 76ers will probably trust the process and keep both of those players in the short term and fire the coach. 
That's the most logical thing if they don't turn things around this season. However, the reality is, and if I were Elton Brand, I would get rid of either Simmons or Embiid. They're at their max value right now. And see if you can get two pieces or another superstar that better suits the way that they play. So that's my opinion. I think that they need to move one of three. Personally, I would move Joel Embiid if it was me. Unfortunately, the coach is probably going to be the one who takes the first bullet. Um, but what what are others saying? So on ESPN, um, Stephen A. Smith had these thoughts. I don't think it seems that likely with Brett Brown as the coach. And I'm not somebody advocating for him to be fired, but I don't think that Brett Brown needs to be pointing out the greatness of Embiid and Simmons and the expectations that should come associated with them when you're the coach that can't seem to get them to win road games. Last time I checked, I went on the road to win a title. These guys have lost eight straight on the road. They're 2-14 and 14 in their last 16 home games, if I remember correctly. They've got two wins against the New York teams, the Knicks and Brooklyn Nets. They are 0-14 everywhere else since Christmas. Now, that's just pathetic. It's just pathetic. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you're sitting there bloviating about what these guys can be. Well, if you're so confident in them, what Brett Brown is not realizing is it forces us to look at him because why the struggles? Why were you the fifth seed before Ben Simmons got hurt? Before Joel Embiid got hurt, you were a fifth or sixth seed vacillating back and forth between the two. Why is that the case if they, if they are so great? That means you might not be handling your business, Brett Brown. I hope he gets it together. Stephen A. seems to think it's Brett Brown that can't get those two players to play together in the right system. So for me, I don't think it's the coach. I think we need to move on from one of those players. Stephen A. thinks it's the coach who needs to be changed or change his system to suit the players. So only time will tell. A former Japanese health minister says the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo is, quote, out if the coronavirus is not terminated by the end of April. As the man who served as Japan's health minister when the swine flu hit the country in 2009, Yoichi Masuzoe tweeted that the decision will be made before the end of May deadline set forth by the Japanese government on whether or not they can host the Games. He also added the incubation and recovery period is two weeks to a month so that it's harder to deal with the with then that of the swine flu. The former minister also said restricting entry of people from South Korea and China is insignificant at this stage as the virus is already spreading all over the country. That news report contradicts what we had been hearing out of Tokyo that they weren't going to make any changes to the Olympics. So now it would seem that if the coronavirus is not under control by an April deadline, they will just completely cancel the Olympics. Now, I'm not one for canceling events, especially sporting events. Um, I've been a proponent of reducing the number of fans in the stands playing in empty stadiums. I think that's, for me, the better option. Uh, I've been speaking with some others who believe that people are going to go out and do what they're going to do anyways. It's more about prevention, washing your hands, sanitizing, uh, staff at stadiums making sure that they clean up as best as they can keep a sterile environment however with something as big as the olympics do we a play the games in front of nobody or people watching on tv 
do we be, as the report just stated, cancel them completely? Or do we see, push them back a year, perhaps to next summer? Yes, I know it throws off the four-year, four-year plan. Um, and there's lots of other uh, things that we need to take into, logistics that we need to take into consideration. However, isn't the health and safety and the well-being of not only the athletes involved, but the spectators, the coaches, the trainers, the staff, the thousands and thousands of people that are involved in the Olympics, isn't it in their best interest that we take a look at postponement of this if this coronavirus gets to that point or as it looks like as it's gotten to that point? So what do I think we should do? Postpone it until the summer of 2021 and look at ways that we can be safer and cleaner and more staler environments in those stadiums so that we're not putting people at risk. Um, I think it's the only solution. This is, you know, a worldwide pandemic that is just getting worse because people aren't following the real simple kind of steps. Washing hands should be a given. Sterilizing, you know, things that you touch or sit on or um, lay on in, in public places should be a given. Right now with travel, right? If you've traveled out of the country and you've come back, it's a two-week um, quarantine. So do that. Don't put everybody else at risk. To employers, understand what's going on. You know, I, there, I read an article where a man, uh, in the, he was working for a hotel, and he said, I can't. I had to go to work because I'm in the retail kind of service industry. And if I don't go to work, I get fired. If I get fired, I lose my health care. If I lose my health care and now I'm sick, my whole life goes down the drain. So let's be a little bit more understanding and figure out ways that we can get through this. And, and of course, look for, be it a cure or ways to stop this, this outbreak. So that's my two cents. Um, let's see what you think. Send us your feedback. What do you think we should do with the Olympics? Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Psych Podcast. We are going to shift gears a little and move to the NBA. And we're very fortunate today to have with us Jack Armstrong, voice of the Toronto Raptors. Jack, welcome. Good morning, Anthony. How are we doing? I'm doing great this morning. So, um, I understand you're in the West Coast doing a little road trip with the Raptors. Seems that they've uh, hit a little bump in the road, but overall things are looking pretty good. Um, based on the offseason that they had, obviously losing Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green to free agency, most of the media had the Raptors as a rebuilding franchise. In fact, some of them suggested trading Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, uh, and Marcus Gasol. Uh, however, my coach of the year candidate, Nick Nurse, has done a phenomenal job of getting the team to play really hard and really show that mental toughness uh, of a championship team. Uh, if the team can get healthy, because I think that's obviously the one issue with the team right now is the injuries, do you think they have a chance at making it back to the NBA Finals? And what do they have to do to, to do that? Well, I, I think they have uh, that resiliency you talk about. Uh, you know, there's that residue of winning where you know you you you're, you just you learn from your championship experience. 
franchise and you've won a lot of games and you've played a lot of big games and you've been from situations like that. And I think this team has that quality. Um, you know, when I, when I look at uh, their ability to contend this year, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think obviously they're going to need to have full health uh, to do that because when you, if you look at the top six teams in the East, there's a lot of really good teams there. And for the Raptors, um, they haven't had a lot of games this year where they've been able to play at full strength. But when they do, uh, they're an intriguing, fascinating mix of guys that I think can play with any team in these. Uh, margin of error won't be incredibly high. But nonetheless, I think this is a group that can do that. I think they're connected. They play hard. They, they share the ball. They get good shots. They can, they can score uh, defensively. Uh, they, they show multiple looks. Uh, they have a great level of switchability and, and versatility defensively. And uh, I think they have a coach uh, that I agree with as well, but I think that definitely merits strong consideration uh, as coach of the year in the league. And right now, you look at them, they have the third best record in the NBA, and they have the second seed in the East. And considering uh, what they've had to go through uh, injury wise, it's pretty remarkable they are where they are right now. Uh, they are scuffling, and you know, they got to find a way to get through this. But nonetheless, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far, and I think they have the goods, still healthy. Uh, to make a, a nice strong run this, this spring. So even though they, they sit uh, second in the East, right, getting through some adversity, third uh, in the NBA, if you listen to specifically the U.S. media, they still put the likes of obviously the Bucks, but also the Celtics, the Heat, and the 76ers ahead of Toronto. What is it that they're seeing that makes them so vulnerable I guess the easy answer is injuries, but is there something else we're missing? Well, no, you use the word seeing. Uh, well, they actually see the other teams. I don't know if they watch the Raptors. <laughs> I'm very honest I don't. I, I call it lazy journalism. I call it uh, a lack of attention to uh, actually paying attention to watching the games. And, you know, just you know, the, the easy way to do it is just say, well, that team has two big names, that team's got a big name, that team's got two big names, automatically they're better. Well, you have to watch the games, and if you actually watch the games, uh, don't get all caught up in names and numbers, and, uh, you actually have an understanding that, why, you know, I think it should be the other way around. You say, well, hold on a minute. Why is this team the second best team in the East? Hold on a minute. Why is this team at the third best record in the NBA and the third best road record in the NBA? Something must be going on there that I'm totally missing the boat on. Uh, you know, that's not an aberration. There's a pattern there. And, oh, by the way, that team has been absolutely decimated with injuries. And yet, they're where they are right now. Like something's going on there that maybe I'm missing the boat on. Maybe I need to dig deeper and look at that. But people don't do that. Instead, they just say, well, you know, stars win in the playoffs and, and that's what happened. Well, it brings 
It's funny that you you bring that up because even when I look at the stats, though, I look at Pascal Siakam versus, let's say, a Jason Tatum. And from a numbers perspective, they're pretty close. I'm, I'd say bang on in most categories, and yet you're hearing Tatum being heralded as this guy who's you know getting into the MVP conversation, but you're not hearing that same as much about Pascal. So I'm with you there. I think they need to start watching some games. The the next thing, well, you know, again, yeah. and, I, and I don't, I don't really worry about stuff like that. I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, to me, it all comes down to which team ends up winning and whether. I think Pascal Siakam and Jason Tatum would be the first to tell you because they're both really good players and and team players that uh, you know they hope to have that decided on the court. And you know, theoretically, right now, if the Raptors and Celtics kind of stay relatively in the neighborhoods that they're in at the two, three seeds, uh, if both teams get by the first round, then, you know, they're on a collision course to play in the second round. And then, and at least, you, you, you know, you'll find out a lot of those questions about, you know, who is the better player and who has the better team. And ultimately, that is who has the better team. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go deep into the bench on this question um, for you because we've had a few of our listeners kind of chime in, and I'd love to get your take on it because you being kind of closer to the team. So the question that has come up is, why is Patrick McCaw getting so many minutes? And I'll I'll preface that by saying, at the trade deadline. I thought he was going to be the odd man out and if the Raptors made a move for some rebounding. During the offseason, I actually had, if you would ask me, Stanley Johnson playing the role of Hollis Jefferson. How was I so wrong? What, did I, what, did, what didn't I see with these two guys? Uh, it's, it's called human nature. And uh, it's, it's coaches making decisions based upon the things that they know uh, that you're not privy to, or I'm not privy to, maybe a lesser extent, but nonetheless, it's about fit. And, you know, there, you, you can't have, uh, you can't always have five guys on the court that necessarily um, have to have the ball in their hands all the time and do something. I think what Patrick McCoy does is he blends well. Um, you know, it's, there's a big difference between playing your five best guys and having your best five. You know, uh, five best versus best five. I mean, that's a dramatic difference. And I think the thing that McCoy does for the other four guys on the floor is he's a selfless player. He's going to uh, get other people the ball. He's going to cut hard. He's going to do things within your offense to give it flow and, and a vibe and a, and a feel that is going to help. And on top of that, he's a very good secondary ball handler that takes some playmaking responsibility, even if it's for two, three seconds within a possession, both of other people. And it allows other people to get into a position to score Defensively, he's got the switchability factor where he can guard multiple positions, and uh, that really helps uh, overall uh, your defense uh, be solid. 
Oh, is he ever going to put up big numbers? Is he, is he a guy that is looking to hunt down big numbers? Oh, hunt down big numbers? No, I don't see that. And, and uh, you know, so, you know, Stanley Johnson obviously is in play. And there's a reason why he's not playing. And other people have played better and earned those minutes. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I get the point you make about the rebounding. That is a concern. Um, and potential putting a guy like that out there as a trade chip, the fact that you put him out there doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get back what you want. So uh, I guess the long roundabout way of saying it is you know, when you're 42 and 18, you have the second best record in the East and third best record of the wall in the East. I think you got to trust the coach and his judgment and his, his wisdom that he feels Patrick McCall is a good fit, and maybe other people don't. But there's 27 other teams that evidently aren't doing as good a job. So I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of the judgment of the guy who's done a great job with that team. Great point, Jack. Uh, so I'll I'll leave you with this one: being on the road with the team. I know there's some stories you can't share. What if you had to pick one? Was there something that kind of sticks out as kind of the funniest moment that you've kind of had on the road? Well, I, I don't know about funny. Uh, I, I would say uh, the thing that blew me away uh, in my 22 years uh, with the Raptors was when Vince Carter was, was on an incredible tear as a young player with the Raptors. And then particularly after he won uh, the dunk contest, uh, and, and right after that, I mean, literally, uh, it was for a good year, year and a half. Uh, it was truly a insanity. Uh, every place Raptors went to, and you checked into a hotel. Uh, it was literally like traveling with the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. I mean, it was just craziness. The amount of people lined up trying to get a picture or an autograph for uh, just uh, the crowd control outside of a hotel. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, getting into Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning on a back-to-back. You know, little kids on school night being out there trying to get uh, the guy's autograph. And I'm like, this is just sheer madness. What are these people doing here? And it's freezing cold. So that's the thing that jumps off the page of me is that, um, you know, like, wow. I mean, this is, a, this, this is truly a big deal. Uh, I've never seen it before, and I haven't seen it since. I mean, there'll be, there'll be a handful of people now, uh, you know, at every place you get to there to take a picture or get an autograph, but nothing to that magnitude. So uh, I don't know necessarily it's funny, but I found it. I found it fascinating. Uh, I found it um, just, you know, like you just go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. But that's the impact of sport. And that's the impact of the moment, too, where you, know, you, you, you do something that just rouses the heck out of people and uh, and they get caught up in it. And uh, to me, I, it was pretty, pretty fun and pretty cool to be swept up in that and to see that and witness it. 
Yeah, the Carter effect. I, I, I remember those days. It, it's 100%. It was, it was fun. Um, with that, Jack, I really appreciate you taking the time for us this morning. Um, is there, finally, how can people, I know we can, you're the voice of the Raptors. Is there anything that you're doing outside of basketball that you'd like to share with us before you before we let you go? Well, my five-year-old son is always blocking his twin sister's uh, shots at the hamper and screaming, get that garbage out of here. So I, I'm sure if you have kid sizes, uh, I'll be sure to get something for him there. Uh, thank you again very much for your time, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Anthony, all the best. People are not watching the XFL. Do you know why? It's not the NFL. It's not football season. It's just not working. It didn't work the first time. It's not working this time. Although week one viewership was high, over 3 million uh, viewers, it has been declining in each week since. Week two was less than week one. Week three, less than week two. Spoiler alert, XFL, Vince McMahon, not happening. That's another episode of the Sports Psych Podcast. Another fantastic episode. What did we learn this week? The 76ers need to make a trade in the offseason. The Olympics should be postponed at least until next summer. Jack Armstrong told us about trusting the coach and what the Raptors' chances were or are of making the NBA Finals again this year and that his best memory was traveling with Vince Carter through the Vince Sanity days. And lastly, we figured out something that I think we all already knew, that the XFL just isn't a thing. So thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.